Hey there, welcome to Walking Alongside Perspectives, a combination of short monopods as well as some conversations with cool folks covering various topics based on what is going on in the world, focusing on the broader theme of perspectives. As Friedrich Nietzsche said, there are no facts, only interpretations. So let's get into it with this episode. Thanks for being here. Well, after an October with above seasonal temperatures, trees that seemingly didn't want to drop their leaves, and another Halloween that didn't require the donning of a snowsuit, winter has arrived in earnest. We talked about this in the car the other day, that the 21st of December isn't really the first day of winter. And we know that it isn't. It's the winter solstice, because really, the first day of winter is, or can be, whenever it happens. There's been mountains of snow on my birthday in past years, or none, like the last several. It's often been minus a ton for weeks by the time Remembrance Day rolls around and I always then feel so bad for the military members parading dressed not nearly warmly enough and have to stand out and add attention for that whole time. And then there's been years that it's been actually quite pleasant. So suffice it to say that winter is coming when it wants as a result of the changes to the climate and the jet stream and whatever else. Sadly, the real sign that winter has arrived is by the appearance of the block heater cords that are draped from trees or laid across sidewalks. And mercifully, there are kind, considerate folks that put a rug or something over those cords to keep the frozen snakes from chirping up unsuspecting walkers in the early and still dark hours of the morning. But what I've been noticing more and more is that there seems to be fewer and fewer people choosing to plug in their cars. In a neighborhood where there are garages in almost every yard, it amazes me how many people still park on the street. And if you're parking on the street, I would think that you would want to know without a doubt that your car will start the next day. So why not plug it in? But it seems as though plugging in your vehicle has become some kind of a sign of weakness. Or maybe not plugging it in is a sign of, I don't know, bravado? My car or truck or whatever is so tough, I don't need to plug it in. And I mean, I guess that's fine if that's how people like to live their lives on the edge. But that being the case, they also shouldn't need to let those super tough vehicles idle for 20 minutes so they don't have to freeze their delicate tushies off or, God forbid, scrape the windows. The number of cars I walk by in the morning that are running for at least 15 to 20 minutes is insane. Every single Get Ready for Winter issue of the AMA magazine says the same thing. Plug in your car below minus 15, let it run for a few minutes, and drive on. It's better for your car, actually gets it heating up faster, and is way better for the environment. And don't even get me started on those fools who idle their cars in the summer while their kids play soccer and then sit on their phones in their cars with the AC running. In any event, despite the first frigid week of November, we have already been given a reprieve and the weather improved, which was welcome as we recently had to move a bunch of appliances and furnitures and stuff. But it also means that we have been given a lovely window of opportunity to get our Christmas lights up. As you know from the last episode, I love Christmas lights. And now that we can put them up, I start thinking about where I want to put what to minimize the extension cords and create a more seamless look. We're looking for these cool power post things that one of the uber decorated Halloween yards had that are a total genius. One post with one cord that runs from the power source and then translates into three separate plugs for whatever inflatables or other light installations you might have. We haven't found it yet, but we're still looking. And we're already behind the eight ball compared to many houses that have already got themselves fully decked out for the holidays. And I'm not talking just taking advantage of a break in the weather to get the Christmas lights up. I'm talking full on house decorated on the outside with the inflatables and the displays and decorated on the inside. There are at least a half a dozen houses that I have walked or driven by that already have their Christmas trees up inside. And maybe that's a sign in and of itself. We're all somehow looking for that bright spot, that happy something or other to combat this general malaise that I feel has blanketed us as a society. 
I want to get my Christmas lights up to avoid having to do it when you have to battle minus 25 temperatures on an aluminum ladder and you can't feel your fingers as you try to clip those little plastic things to the eavesdropping without falling off said aluminum ladder and pulling and stretching those frozen cords to try to get them as straight as you can so it doesn't look like your drunk uncle put up the lights. But I'm not ready yet for full-on Christmas in my house. There's already a radio station playing Christmas music. They started on the 12th of November. That's a bit too much Burl Ives and Mariah Carey for my liking. But again, if what we need as a society is a pick-me-up, then maybe getting festive is the answer. But it seems more like a band-aid that is being used to hide the fact that we're all kind of just done. I don't mean to be putting words in your mouth or presuming to know how anyone else is feeling, but it seems like we're in a stage of burnout or not having any Fs left to give that is truly without precedent. They say that change is as good as a rest, and so I started taking French through work, because I could, and I wanted to do something that would benefit not just me and my grey cells, but also the francophones we work with, and because, in a way, I just feel it's the right thing to do. Being bilingual in a country that is supposedly bilingual should be a no-brainer, but let me tell you, it's a struggle. Not the least because learning a language is hard, and French is ridiculous, but also when it's on top of a bunch of other things that you're already trying to do, and you're struggling with being overwhelmed and frustrated, it's literally just a bit much. I'm really thinking that even though there might be some truth to the benefit of a change, what I need is just rest, plain and simple. Stress leave as an option has popped up a few times in the last few weeks, but I also know that just leaving and working on myself by journaling or whatever, and then coming back to the same mess isn't really the answer either. Because the truth is I've been struggling with the notion of leaving a job that no longer makes me happy or leaves me feeling that I've made a difference or could one day make a difference for a long time now. But it's the age-old problem of those golden handcuffs. Good pay, good benefits, four weeks of vacation. It's hard to give that up, even in the face of literally dreading going to the office every day. That's sad. Fear, money, comfort. Those three things are huge factors in why I think people stay in jobs or even relationships that no longer make them happy for far longer than anyone should. Fear that there isn't something better out there. Though if ever that wasn't true, it would be now, when all you hear about are the worker shortages. Though to be fair, I don't know what type of worker shortages they're talking about specifically. Airport staff and the folks in charge of making sure you get your luggage in a timely fashion are but one category, and I don't know that I want to make that drastic of a change, although there is something to be said for just being there, moving luggage all day without worrying about the next meeting, or how outdated your teaching materials are, or how little support you were getting from the powers that be. I mean, if I knew how to use an espresso machine, I would seriously consider working at Starbucks or something. Although really, what has always been my dream job was to work in a flower shop. Maybe it's too many of those sappy Hallmark Christmas movies or the fact that the flower shops and stands in the Netherlands are the quintessential picture of floral perfection, but that has long been what I aspire to. But when and then what? As a retirement job or in some fantasy where we win just enough money to be able to open up a little shop and then get all these gigs, making lovely arrangements for the rich and famous? It's a tough industry and not really even environmentally friendly. Google how to grow flowers and the carbon footprint of getting them to a floral department near you. It's not that great. It's an unlikely fantasy, but one that seems altogether more appealing when the new micromanager du jour tells you that you're too much, too passionate, too vocal, and too outspoken. I don't know that I've ever heard of having too much passion about your job and the people you work with as being a bad thing before, but yet, there it was. So forgive me for thinking that a flower shop where my biggest concern is making things look nice and unpacking the next shipment of poinsettias seems like the perfect escape. But that's exactly what it would be, an escape. 
The question then is, how does someone escape a job that has become soul crushing and find something that is fulfilling, pays the bills, and maybe leaves a bit extra for fun money and allows for a decent amount of vacation? The jobs where you only get two weeks off means that folks never really get the time to recharge, that buffer time for when the kids have unexpected days off, or the flexibility to take a mental health day. And in a time when the side effects of living through a global pandemic that has led to division that I don't know will ever be able to be repaired, and you can see on the daily basis the effects of the mental health tsunami that is washing over everyone, there needs to be able to be the opportunity to take mental health days that don't count against your sick days. It's significant. I think that's one of the things that is making me the most disheartened, that despite the lessons that I thought we had learned over the past several years, this almost manic desire to go back to the way things were is having a real negative impact on people, relationships, companies, and honestly, society. Lack of trust is one of the biggest issues. We could work remotely when we had to, but when it's only an option, there's now a need to monitor where you are, what you're doing, the times you're working, and it's bullshit. Were there people that took advantage of working from home? Of course there were. But there are people that show up to work in person every day, and that's their sum total contribution. They're there, present and accounted for, and contributing zilch. So there are going to be those that work the system wherever they are, whatever they do, and that is one of the sad realities of humanity. But to punish or be punitive about how we move forward is to crush the creative spirit, the agency and freedom to decide how we're going to map out our day, still get everything done. And in many cases, more so, because I know for me, I'm way more efficient when I work from home. And at the end of the day, those benefit the company, either from a bottom line perspective or from the work generated in a way that those we are working to support will benefit. In our case, the development of newsletters, social media posts, new and approved briefings, displays, and yeah, podcasts. So what's a person to do? The reality is that we all need money to live, and without the security of another job to go to, it would be foolish to leave those golden handcuffs. But what if the golden handcuffs and that fear are the very things that are keeping you from seeking it and even seeing the other opportunities that are out there? What if the fear of change, of rejection, of the unknown, or of having to do something so monumentally, terrifyingly different are more powerful than the anger, the frustration, and all the other reasons why you should leave that job in the first place? Is it a matter of the chicken or the egg? You're not finding another job because the security surrounding this one is keeping you from seeing the opportunities that are out there? They say that desperation is the mother of invention. Maybe there's something to be said for a little desperation to make you see the potential out there unclouded by the complacency of settling for something that is making you frightfully unhappy and miserable. I miss being able to talk about this with my mom. So when I talk to my dad now, I try to bring up things that keep him from thinking about how much he misses my mom. And so I talk about work and needing to make the decision about making that change. And what he said was that the one thing that he always did when work got to be more than he was prepared to tolerate was quit. And he did it a few times with a wife and two kids in tow that had to go wherever he thought he could make a go of it. My mom, of course, had to bear the brunt of that, making do with very little, working crazy long hours to support my dad's decision. So really what he told me was only sort of good advice. He made a decision and we all had to live with the consequences. That's a basic tenet of life, but it was a different time then. And that patriarchal male power over thing was even stronger than it sadly remains now. Both Chris and Daphne have told me that they will support me in my decision. They said we could go back to austerity measures. We could do with less, tighten our belts, and use all the euphemisms that politicians like to spout as they give themselves yet another pay hike. So what am I waiting for? I have the literal blessing of my family, the support, if you can call it that, of my dad, and yet it's winter. It's a time of cold and quiet, contemplation as we ready for another spring where there is rebirth and growth and visible change. 
But in winter, there's also change. The bunnies change from brown to white, the birds leave, the squirrels chill out a little and try to find their hidden caches of food. The plants rest and slow down, giving themselves the time they need to burst back into life when the days get longer and the sun's rays get stronger. So perhaps what I need to do is just start looking, start writing cover letters, start sending out resumes. And when it gets to be too much, or I have reached the point at which I have gone past my tolerance at work, I quit. The preparation that goes into dealing with the winter of another phase of life, readying oneself for change because it will arrive too in its own time, just like spring in Edmonton arrives in its own time, not based on what the calendar says, is kind of a thing that we should all be doing all the time. Maybe change is as good as a rest. Change up the decorations, change up the way you do things, change up your circumstances by taking control where you can. All that change would also be good for my gray cells. Now, where did I put that French homework? Thanks for listening. If you have ideas for a topic or even better, a perspective to share, I would love to hear them and share them, ideally in a conversation with you. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and throw a comment my way or share with friends. For better or for worse, we're all in this together. We have exactly one world to share, so let's make it the best one it can be. Until next time, take good care. Ciao for now.